how in the world could we afford to service somebody who's free? An individual developer who may not even be paying you yet may still be making a very, very important decision about whether they're going to use this technology. In order to understand a customer, you need really good visibility into what's going on. It's early days for this discipline. It's going to be a role that constantly evolves with the shifting and shaping of the company. Hi, I'm Yaron Sadka, Senior Sales Engineer at Runscope. You're listening to Road to Growth, a podcast about startup sales organizations brought to you by Heavybit, a nine-month program for developer-facing startups. Road to Growth is a bi-weekly series that breaks down SaaS sales organizations one piece at a time, from the first person to kick off sales at a company, all the way down to the partnership and cohesion with the marketing and product teams, we'll take you through what it takes to build a powerful, fine-tuned sales organization. If you're interested in being a guest, have a topic for us to discuss, or a role you'd like us to dive into, send an email to roadtogrowth at heavybit.com. Today we have with us Don McLennan of Blue Nose Analytics. Don and I will be discussing growing a customer success team and its impact on an organization's bottom line. Welcome everybody to our third episode of Road to Growth. We have Don McLennan with us today of Blue Nose Analytics. Welcome, Don. Thank you. So, you know, we always like to start these things with a couple minutes of you introducing yourself to us, um, giving us kind of an overview of, you know, how you got to where you are today. So if you don't mind uh, sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. So Blue Nose exists really to unlock the power of customer data and help people use that data to do a better job of retaining and growing the customers they've worked so hard to get. Uh, and my co-founder and I started the company really out of the motivation of solving a problem of our own past. Because in our prior roles in the tech industry, you know, we often really wanted customer data to understand how people adopted our product or to drive expansion, sales motions, and the like. And it was pretty hard to come by, you know, to the point where uh, in my recent past, I had to build a data science team from scratch. And I spent about two years and a million dollars of people and infrastructure costs to get there, if only because the, the business I had a hand in running had a pretty big churn problem. And we were trying to you know, cross-sell and upsell other products into that base. And of course, if you have churn, then that's not going to work. So we had experienced this acute problem in our past in the sense of having these customer-facing roles and really not having access and visibility into key customer data that Blue Nose would now house. Very nice. And so you, you came from, you know, originally a sales perspective and then some product. Mm-hmm. And now you, you and your co-founder took this and you were like, okay, so now we want these analytics, make ourselves more successful. And so that's where this kind of I guess, customer success role grew out of. Yeah, I mean, even in our product leadership roles or in sales roles, right? in order to understand a customer, you need access to kind of all the data. You need really good visibility into what's going on. So to the extent they're interacting with a support center, you want to know that. Obviously, you want to know how they're adopting the product itself. You want to understand what's at stake financially. What did they buy? When did they renew? Have they filled out a survey? What did they say when they did that? When someone talked to them recently or sent them an email, what did that look like? And you know, ordinarily, that data is living in a lot of silos. And because it's in silos, it really inhibits your, your visibility. And therefore, it's hard to take stock of that relationship. And so overcoming the silos by putting all this data into a single repository, you know, so-called Customer 360, was a really exciting concept for us because we had struggled to achieve that in the past. And we sensed that people in roles where they're responsible for customer retention had that same challenge. And so customer success, the department, tends to be that really focal point for it, meaning for them to do a good job of stewarding that relationship and making sure that customer stays with the product, renews, and expands, they need that same visibility. And so that's the, that's the primary audience is people who've got that role mm-hmm. right, of retention and growth. So you, you mentioned customer success. Uh, it's something that's relatively new in our world of technology. Mm-hmm. Is this a role? Is this an organizational mindset? How do you kind of piece this together? 
uh, when presenting it to companies. Yeah, I think it's both. Meaning, you know, if you don't have an executive and leadership team and a board, right, that really believes in the business imperative and understands that that's going to mean investment, right, investment in people, investment in resources, investment in systems, then any person as an actor doing this role isn't going to succeed because, in many respects, it is a company culture and a mindset. You know, so what happens when a customer gets escalated? Well, that root cause may originate somewhere else. It's a product issue. It's a bug. It's an implementation issue. And so people playing the role of customer success are often, if you pardon the sports metaphor, a quarterback of sorts, right? Because they're trying to get their colleagues to collaborate around helping that customer, you know, get to value, get to adoption, or resolve the issue. And so if you don't have the culture and the executive sponsorship um, as a mindset, then it's going to be hard to do the job. The job specifically kind of fills a void, right? Meaning, you know, you've got sales actors, they're incented and motivated to acquire a customer, and they're incented to do that, you know, as many times as often for every week and month of the year. You have people in customer support that are typically organized around um, inbound requests. In other words, they'll triage a specific issue at a time, a how-to or a bug or whatever. Um, you have implementation people or onboarding people, so they take a new customer and they're meant to get them live, but they don't stay with them. And so when you look at all these other more established roles from sales to onboarding to customer support, they, they leave a void. And the void is now being filled by this role called customer success, which is to say somebody who has that responsibility right, to ensure the customer reaches adoption and reaches the business value of what they've purchased. Uh, and that's the net new part of it. Right, is this dedicated role to kind of fill that void uh, and maybe complete the mosaic, if you will. Right. So for those of our listeners who are not necessarily in the startup world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you're looking to hire somebody, sometimes you want them to have more than just one hat to wear. Uh, you, know, you start with generalists, and then you kind of get yep. more granular as you grow. Yep. So the customer success role, is that an idea now that's mostly confined to startups and, and kind of mid-market companies? If not, you know, how does that differ from, let's say, an account manager or somebody in, in the enterprise that's been doing this for a while, just under a different name? Yeah, yeah, great question. I think it's it's more prevalently utilized in younger SaaS companies, if only because with these subscription business models, right? There's a very clear linkage between the need to do customer success and the outcome of retention, right? So it hits a really important financial lever for the viability of a software company. Right. Um, if we try to put it in a broader context, you know, software as a service or infrastructure as a service or platform as a service, like collectively, right? These are still small fractions of the overall technology industry. So in the case mm-hmm. of software, for example, it's about, I don't know, $310 billion annual <laughs> industry, right? But the SaaS component of it is 16 or $17 billion. So still less than 10%, albeit growing really fast. So you don't necessarily see these practices in older, more established tech vendors unless and until they begin to transform themselves into subscription businesses. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you've got that subscription business model, right now you've got a really clear implication between the function of customer success and the impact they're going to have on the bottom line because you've got to get that recurring revenue. right? Otherwise yep. you can't be profitable. Correct. Right. That's what we're all trying to achieve. Right. Is is growing that bottom line and <laughs> kind of yeah. making sure our co- our companies either get acquired, you know, IPO or whatever it is that yeah. we we want to do. But to your question, even in the context of customer success, yeah, it tends to be a generalist role in a small startup, meaning that person might cover a lot of hats from onboarding and implementation, you know, through to relationship management to escalation management, renewals, perhaps even customer support. Mm-hmm. So it definitely has some breadth, if only because you know you have finite resources and finite employees. And right. so when we see older, more established SaaS vendors, perhaps even ones that have already gone public, 
then you'll see a little bit of specialization creep into the function where there may be a distinct role for renewals and account management, which is pursuing kind of the revenue part of the objective, right? How Mm -hmm. do I maximize the revenue from a current customer? And you might have a different actor who's really focused on product adoption and maybe even domain expertise to help the customer, you know, learn how to apply the product correctly, which might be a distinct role from onboarding and implementation and so forth. So sometimes you'll start to see the generalist function, even in the world of customer success, get sliced up a bit with scale and growth in the bigger company settings. Yeah, so you bring up a, a very interesting point is, you know, as you grow, you start to specialize a little more. For most of the people listening, odds are they're in that you know, 50 to 100, 200 person company yep. where they're granular but not so fine that they have such distinct roles. Yep. When you're starting out with customer success, at least maybe at Blue Nose, do you classify them as support? Do you classify them as sales? Where do they fall within the organization as to budgetary concerns, salary, mm-hmm. and, and, and all that good stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's early days for this discipline, so you'll see a lot of variety, and um, you'll see some pretty interesting religious debates in terms of, like, quote-unquote, what is the right model. For example, in terms of to whom that customer success team or resource reports, uh, in some organizations that's going to be to a revenue-generating executive, like VP of sales or chief revenue officer. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I just came this morning from meeting the chief revenue officer of one of my customers, and man, there is no way in heck he's ever going to relinquish this function because (laughs) in his organization they have so much expansion revenue potential in their customer base Mm -hmm. that he just sees this as a continuum of the sales motion. Right, and that, that's how it was at Iron, where I was mm-hmm. as well. Is yeah. uh, customer success kind of fell under sales, yeah. and because they drive now, it. Now, in some other companies, you know, as a reflection of their culture or their leadership or the nature of product they sell or whatever, they may see it differently and say, "Well, customer success actually belongs to uh, an executive function that spans onboarding and implementation through to customer success, into renewals, and even into customer support." And in that world, there's probably a little bit of a stronger service bias in the role, meaning that role is there to serve the customer Mm -hmm. and less of a commercial pull, right? Um, And there are organizations that are starting to birth uh, a a C-level executive, right, who has the combination of implementation, uh, customer success, and customer support and sees that as a continuum. And uh, so there's a lot of debate right now as to what is the true north of the role, right? Should it be a revenue generating function, in which case it probably lives under the CRO, Mm -hmm. versus a service delivery function, in which case it lives under this new chief customer officer role or SVP of customer success. You'll see that title from time to time, and and that will encapsulate two or three or four departments within. Yeah, yeah. So it it seems like it's more of a feeder system, I guess, bringing, bringing these people in and then kind of shoveling them in, in different directions depending on what their interests are and where their skills lie, whether it's on the sales side, the support side, whatever it is, integrations as well. You know, at Iron we did integrations, which meant that somebody now had to take the client post-sale and mm-hmm. integrate the product in for them, yep. um, which is technically customer success, but then you have different engineers that kind of, so mm-hmm. it, it, yep. there's a lot going on there and it seems like customer success is a good way to feed into these different pipes uh, as you grow into more of an enterprise um, and, and need those specializations. Um, does that sound yeah, about yeah, right? Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, I heard somebody say, it's all about the handoffs. Mm-hmm. So as, as you grow and these roles become a little bit more specialized, evolving from the generalist, um, the handoffs become really critical. 
right? So that when sales hands an account over to the onboarding team, right? right? The onboarding team isn't asking the customer a bunch of questions that were already told to the vendor and to the sales team and so on and so forth. So the more you scale this and the more these specialized roles emerge as part of a more cohesive team, then coordinating all those handoffs and touches right, becomes really important. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you can't sustain that sort of one face to the customer, which they valued so much in that first individual right, right. who was the generalist. Yeah. And, um, and so we've seen examples you know, when companies grow. Uh, they really had to kind of struggle to get put that back together, if you will. Yeah, so it, I mean, that's a great point. Is that as you grow, you know, when you're small, you you know the engineering team, you know the marketing team, you know the different functions of the organization. As you grow, a new customer success or support person isn't going to know the other person across the desk who built that functionality f- as the engineer. Mm-hmm. How do you have you seen this? How do you kind of keep that? Connection between the two sides. Yeah, I, I think the executive team's the glue, right? They've got to create the context. Mm-hmm. Um, think about an escalation. Great example, right? So, so meeting customer success um, gets brought in because the customer threatened to churn, or they knew a C-level executive and called them up and complained, right? So now this customer success and individual is being parachuted into the situation. And you start thinking about, well, what were the root causes for that escalation to occur that made that customer so unhappy, right, that they made that threat? Um, the root cause almost always lives elsewhere in the organization. Again, back to that sports metaphor. So that person is quarterbacking uh, the resolution, meaning it may have been that sales sold that customer something that wasn't really a good fit in the first place, or the implementation didn't go so well, and there was now some by, you know some evidence of that after the fact, or uh, they weren't properly trained, or there's a product gap that's inhibiting their ability to successfully use the product in their specific case, or there's a support issue that's open and it's high impact, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, so much of what a customer success person does is play this coordinating role. You know, I kind of call them communication machines because they're just constantly communicating with customers and other colleagues. So, in order for that escalation to happen well, the whole organization needs to know what happens when you push that escalation button, so to speak. Right, and if they don't know what their role is to play, when the customer success person says, "I need your help," mm-hmm. right, if that hasn't been set as the context and the company culture and priority, then to your point, that customer success person is going to feel like they're pushing rope a little bit because they're trying to get the attention of somebody in another team that may have other priorities. Right, so, right, and so it kind of starts at the top. Yeah, as as many things do when you talk about uh, culture and, and kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so now. This person has to coordinate and quarterback everything. How do they make sure that things get accomplished? Do you incentivize these people because it is somewhat support, and you don't want them pushing product and, and all that? Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that they're properly compensated for making sure that customers don't churn while also not impacting yep. you know the customer on, on their bottom line? Yep, absolutely. So again, these two schools of thought as to whether it's orientated as a service delivery function, right, augmenting these other actors doing things like implementation and customer support versus the other school of thought that says, hey, this is a commercially minded person who is going mm-hmm. to maximize revenue from the base. In, in either case, they typically are still driven by quantitative metrics and have variable comp. So on the revenue generating side, that's pretty straightforward. You have a renewals goal, both in terms of renewal rate and money, perhaps even an upsell goal. Um, and so that's going to start to feel like a quota right? when mm-hmm. you're working on, on that side of the equation. For people who are still in the service delivery mode, meaning that's kind of the, the mission and purpose of the function, um, they almost always still have incentive compensation, such as quarterly goals. 
And then those goals are tied to quantitative metrics like retention rate and renewal rate, and perhaps even the number of upsell opportunities that they would discover and pass to another team member. So in either case, right, there is a clear business outcome that's highly measurable that they exist to serve. Right, right. So for, for a company that's you know, currently implementing this, maybe there mm-hmm. is incentive, maybe there isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way for them to at least A-B test the right ways? Are there hmm. different hmm. strategies for them to go about bringing on a customer success engineer or maybe a customer success person in general? Yeah, I don't know if A-B testing is the approach uh, so much as it's going to be a role that constantly evolves with the shifting and shaping of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's affected by the culture and the leadership. Um, it's affected by the type of product you sell. So if you sell a product that's sort of high velocity and low touch, that informs the role of customer success as being different than a really complicated, very expensive type of product. So even the business model of how you sell and service can have an effect. Um, If your product has substantial expansion revenue at stake versus you monetize the customer mostly with first purchase, Right, so there's a lot of facets to this that interplay that will ultimately inform like what's that right model for that company, mm-hmm. and then you can superimpose that in time, which is to say the right model for today may be really different than how you think about it in a year's time or three years time as you grow and evolve, um, which makes it a really interesting role. Like right. if you like change, you'll love this job yeah. um, <laughs> because it's going to change. Definitely. So I, I, at least for you, are you iterating? On a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, how often do you relook? You know, go back to the position and be like, you know, we should change these functionalities. Mm. For at least for you at, at Blue Nose. Yeah, yeah, great question. Well, we definitely have a dog food mindset. In yep. other words, we use Blue Nose the product to help <laughs> I'd us. I hope. I hope you yeah, do. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. And yeah, it's evolved. So our customer success team today is evolving in as much as we're th- we're we're part of pretty significant change when our tool gets deployed into a customer organization because they're going to use it to introduce, you know, in some respects, a new way of working. So there's a strategic facet of it wherein our customer success manager is partnering with the sponsor executive mm-hmm. right, to manage that as a program. And that's going to mean that they're going to be engaged all the time for a long period of time as the product gets rolled out and adopted. But then there's also the matter of the user population where we can engage them separately and programmatically, right? Through email, through webinars, office hours, support, knowledge bases, and the like. And so our evolution in our case has evolved where we think about the bottom up part how do we get every user to be nurtured and adopt the product of their own volition? And the top down part, which is how do we partner with the executives to drive the program? Uh, that our product is enabling, mm-hmm. and the two kind of go hand in hand. Um, and we, that's not how we started, but that's sort of our current framework. And it might change later as we see, perhaps we have very large customers as different than small ones, in which case we may tier our support model. That's a really common challenge, right? Yeah. The byproduct of success is you start landing these really large customers, and all of a sudden your biggest customer is 10 times as big as your smallest. And you start realizing, gosh, you know, I can't actually service everybody with that same white glove service. The big ones demand more of me. Right. And it starts to introduce tiering strategies into the mix, which is yet another facet right, to mm-hmm. how to do customer success. Yep. So, yeah, um, we had this own experience. You know, in our case, we're, our, our customer base is about 18 months old. Um, and we've probably iterated meaningfully at least twice in that time period, okay. um, which is inclusive of how we purpose our customer success team, how we do programmatic nurturing, and how we even use our product internally. And does that does that change with uh, a pricing model change as well? I mean, do, do those two correlate for you at all? Uh, it could. In, in our case, 
um, historically, we've sold our whole product at once, and the customer tries to implement it all at once, you know, albeit in a staged fashion. But there's obviously a lot of companies, including many of the heavy bit uh, member companies, that are pursuing, you know, kind of a different sales and distribution model that mm-hmm. may start with a single developer trying out a product in a test mode or very low scale, and it expands rapidly, right. uh, you know, in time. And that kind of distribution model obviously puts a very interesting lens through how you think about customer success because an individual developer who may not even be paying you yet may still be making a very, very important decision about whether they're going to use this technology. And uh, on the face of it, it's like, well, how in the world could we afford to service somebody who's free? Mm -hmm. But what's at stake is them committing to using your product in production, in which case if they flip that switch, right, that customer might go from free to very, very valuable in a really short period of time. So it's an interesting challenge in these uh, developer tool uh, business models um, because it's counterintuitive in terms of thinking about when to invest. Right, and and I've I've been a part. Uh, you know, I was at Iron. I'm now at Runscope, and and both companies, you know, similar mentalities. But it's you know a small an individual comes in. You don't know where they work or who they know, right. and they start using your product, and you're you're supporting them because you can and you can provide it. And then they grow to this huge account. And you're just like, this is awesome. Yeah. And then you you go a year or two, and you're like, we can't keep servicing these for users as best as we used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it it's interesting to see that evolution occur mm-hmm. um, for yeah. these different companies. So um, you know, it it's something that's really hard to uh, measure returns on. At least mm-hmm. in, in my eyes, have mm-hmm. you found any good metrics to say, hey, this is a good way to measure returns on a customer success person? Uh, you know, what they're bringing back in value to their organization. You know, we as vendors, in an attempt to sell our product, have built some ROI models. Um, so I think there are some, you know, basic frameworks. Um, the most obvious one, of course, is you know, I apply this resource, and what effect on retention is it is that person or team going to have? Mm-hmm. Um, and presumably, you know, after you've staffed that position and retention improves, then that feels like a causal relationship. Honestly, I think most people invest in this function because at some intuitive level it feels like the right thing to do. And then it is a matter of keeping score, but it may be about keeping score of how effective the organization is in their core processes as much as the business metrics. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't encourage somebody to say, well, you know, customer success is successful only when we can measure their effect on retention rate. Because it may be that um, you're really trying to orchestrate some clear points of where they're going to reach out and touch a customer, like very specific scenarios related to onboarding, related to check-ins, related to escalation management, related to renewals. And the better things to measure might actually be how well that process is working at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Are we consistent in servicing our customers? Do we always do outreach? Can I monitor and measure that You know, to know that my team is doing the work? So there's... There's the operational facet of it as well, and, and some one could argue that the better you get at that, and the more rigorous you are at that, the more you're going to affect the business outcome in the first place. Right. But um, there's not a clear ROI model. I mean, people intellectually get this could affect lots of key metrics from LTV, right, to even CAC, and uh, you know because with these conversion rates, right, of making somebody happy, and then they scale up their consumption of your product. There's obviously retention rate, renewal rate. So tons and tons of kind of key SaaS metrics could be in scope. Mm-hmm. It's just challenging to create the attribution and the causality. So I think most people operate a little bit more of an intuitive level, like, hey, it just feels right for our business. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, you know, that's how you see it in the beginning, and eventually it just 
becomes a core functionality that they, you know, what you believe is true and kind of thing, and it just yeah. kind of sits there. Um, we'll we'll observe like a key tension point. So everybody loves the contribution that the first one or two or three customer success managers will make to the business because they're filling that big void. It relieves everybody else of the duty to do it. Right, the mm-hmm. impact is really huge. You know, and at some point. The CFO says, well, you're asking me for the next hire, right? The fifth team member or the 11th team member, wherever the case may be. You know, can't we do without? And, and so at some point, the hiring momentum slows because the head of customer success is being denied that next resource. And, you know, these are expensive people. Yeah. And so that often is the catalyst to think about, well, what could automation do? And then that's when people start to contact vendors like me mm-hmm. to say, well, should we optimize the efficiency of our team before we decide to add that next expensive headcount because the cost of our product is a fraction of a person. And uh, in doing that, then that's probably the condition for the CFO to then say, okay, well, now that we've done that, we, are, we can be assured that they're really efficient and effective. You know, now it's time to add you know, N plus one to the team. Mm-hmm. So that's often when we'll get brought in is somebody sort of flinching about the next hire without actually looking at the role of automation and making it just more efficient. So, um, you know, talking about Blue Nose then, are you more geared towards a company that already has customer success people in place? Yeah, yeah. And uh, for the time being, we're building a product that really helps that team function. Uh, so it's pretty unusual for us to engage with somebody who doesn't yet have that team. Mm-hmm. Um, you might see us in the future introduce products that could be um, relevant to other actors, be it a product manager or a growth hacker or somebody doing conversions. It might be just alternate packaging of some of the features of our product. But for the time being, the audience for us is the customer success department. Okay. And for somebody who hasn't yet achieved that team, mm-hmm. I assume there are there's information and documentation on your website that can help them build that team and then eventually grow into an analytics type blue nose yeah. company that they need or yeah, absolutely i mean you know one of the really strong values that we hold is that because it's early days in customer success and they're in, people are trying to figure figure this thing out right what's the best practice what's the right way to approach this for my business um, we have a mindset that we're responsible for bringing a solution to market and the solution is equal parts know-how and tool so we've published tons and tons of best practice content um, on our site from blogs to an online community to ebooks uh, the vast majority of it is vendor neutral, meaning it has nothing to do with our product per se and more about like how would I even work through interview questions for how to hire a CSM or whether the right uh, incentives to compensate them by or the strategy. So there's a rich set of content that we've had a hand in building because we feel a responsibility to advance the profession and be a good member of that community. That's great. Uh, I'm sure listeners will really appreciate that, especially those who are looking to grow their business mm-hmm. and, and looking at the customer success role. Yep, so um, shameless plug, if they go to bluenose.com slash resources, they'll find a whole bunch of stuff uh, okay. for them that is free and online and is all best practice and vendor neutral. That they, There's something in it for uh, probably most every person that goes. Perfect. So bluenose.com forward slash resources, a uh, great way to build your success team. Uh, thank you again, Don, for coming in for the time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, you guys are doing a lot of great stuff in your space. For those of you who haven't checked out heavybit.com, please do so. Uh, Don has a great talk on the website uh, in the library portion. Uh, so thank you again for listening. Thanks for coming, Don. Appreciate it. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Take care. That's all we have time for today. Questions? Feedback? Contact me at roadtogrowth at heavybit.com. Thanks again to Heavybit for sponsoring our program. To learn more about Heavybit's nine-month program for developer-facing startups, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, make sure to check out their library. 
It's packed with great educational talks from developer company founders and industry leaders. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.